Father, we love you so much. We thank you that as we read 1 Corinthians 13 and we hear about love, Lord, what we're hearing about is you, your heart, the manifestation of your character poured out in loving grace and kindness in our lives. And we thank you that you are patient and you are kind and you are gracious, and we worship you for those things. This morning, I pray that as we talk about joy and suffering and, and Christ and, and his passion leading up to the cross, Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with joy, that we would see you more clearly, and we would just be drawn to you in deep desire. So we worship you together. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Hebrews 12. That's where we're going to be, just in a short little chunk of this. We have only three more weeks until Easter, which uh, I don't know if that like hits you hard, but I can't believe it. Time just goes by so crazy, right? Um, and as Easter approaches, we have been looking at the passion of Christ. We've been in a series talking about the suffering of Jesus and some of the things that it accomplishes for us who believe in his name. And last week we talked about how his suffering has saved us from God's wrath. And I would encourage you to maybe go back and listen to that. Christ, as the propitiation for our sins, bore all of the wrath of God in the sacrifice of his blood to atone for our sins on the cross. And what an incredible truth, what an incredible gift that is. And as a result of his passion and the suffering of of the cross, we have been completely covered by God's love his loving kindness, and his justice, and his righteousness. So this morning, now we're going to shift, and we're going to look at how the passion of Christ was endured for, our, or for his joy, for the joy of Christ. And all that Jesus suffered, from his physical abuse to his unjust death, from rejection by the Father and the shaming that he received from mankind, and all of this suffering, Jesus endured it all joyfully. And his joyful suffering, his death, have secured for us the very fullness of joy that comes with fellowship with God. And so if you want to know joy, if you want to have joy in your life, then you have to look to Christ, who himself was joyful even as he suffered the horrors of the cross in this passion week leading up to the cross. Now, I would say, admittedly, uh, joy and suffering are not two things that are very well wed together, right? We don't tend to associate those things and place them together. I would say, in fact, in a million different ways, we try very hard to avoid suffering as much as possible. And, and we tend to believe that if you are suffering, then you cannot be happy. And I would say that, in a sense, that's actually true. I know that from my personal experience, during times of suffering in my life, happiness has felt like this distant ideal. But you need to understand that happiness is is a fleeting thing, while joy, it's enduring. And these two things, happiness on one hand and joy on the other hand, they're not actually the same thing. Happiness is a feeling, and it comes and it goes based on circumstances, But joy, listen to this, joy is a settled state of being that's grounded in a much deeper reality that persists unfazed throughout whatever circumstances life may throw at us. And the reason I point this out is because if you confuse happiness and joy, I think you're doomed to live a life of misery, sort of spinning your wheels constantly, seeking after a feeling that comes and goes. 
and I would say so much that's backwards in our society, in our culture today, is because we think that the apex of human existence is happiness. And I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. Being happy is definitely a good thing, and praise God for that feeling when we have it. But happiness, again, it only lasts for as long as our circumstances are favorable. And so I would say we'd be far better off seeking joy that's immutably fixed in the eternal reality of God himself. Joy that cannot be broken, joy that cannot be stolen, joy that cannot be devastated or extinguished, no matter what turmoil we may find ourselves in the midst of. And see, if Christ Jesus can endure all of the suffering that he did in the cross, in the passion, in his crucifixion, and he can still know joy through that experience, then joy is what I crave because I know that joy will carry me through whatever trials this life might ultimately assail me with. And I can admit, honestly, I have a hard time being happy sometimes. I mean, maybe you can relate to that experience. But regardless of how happy I am, I find when I look to Christ, I find that I'm just engulfed in a deluge of joy when I can actually gaze upon him. And it displaces the misery of any circumstance that life may bring me. If I can only look to Christ, what I find there is a boundless joy in him that cannot be overcome by even the worst experience that this life may have. Like Job says, we've been studying this book together in our men's Bible study on Monday morning. Job proclaims in the midst of all of his suffering, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we're going to look to Christ's suffering this morning to better understand the fullness of joy that he had. And I hope that by doing that, we might share in it. We might partake in his joy, at least to some degree. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I'm actually going to start at kind of the end of verse 1. It says there, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the goal of the Christian life. If you want to know what the Christian life is about, what the goal is, what it is that we are striving for, here it is. If you believe, as I do, that God is sovereign, he can do what he wants, and the entire course of human history bends to his will, then there is great comfort, I think, in knowing that the path that he has laid out for us to run, it's not the result of fate, it's not the result of chance. Rather, it is the perfect will of our gracious, good, loving God, so that at the end of this race that we run, we might have our prize, which is to be with him. Enjoy whatever difficulties might come our way between here and there. And I think to really understand this, you have to consider the cross to comprehend the fullness of this idea, right? Was the death of Jesus just a serious coincidence of unfortunate circumstances? Was the suffering of Jesus nothing more than just a terrible tragedy, just like a really bad story that happened to one guy? Was it the will of evil men and unjust rulers? 
Or was there something greater at purpose here? Was the passion and suffering of Jesus the perfectly laid out plan of God the Father so that even in his death and in his crucifixion, Jesus ended up being the foundation of God's glorious plan to save the world? A plan which nobody could thwart, nobody could derail as much as they may have tried. And I would say, of course, Scripture tells us that it was God's plan. Go read Acts 2 and you find that it was the will of God the Father to crush Christ for our sake. The path that Jesus walked from Jerusalem to Golgotha with the splinters of the cross just tearing apart his already lacerated back, that was precisely the race that God the Father had marked out for him to run. And Christ, he endured the savagery of that suffering with joy. Can you believe that? With joy. And so here's the goal of the Christian life. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, like Jesus has run his race. Too often I think that we can fall prey to this idea as Christians, this trap, that in becoming a Christian we have crossed the finish line. No, in becoming a Christian we have only crossed the starting line. And every day we're called to run with endurance in pursuit of Christ. One more agonizing mile in this marathon that lasts for as long as God determines that we should run it. And in that, we must always be setting our eyes upon crossing the finish line for the glory of God out of a burning desire to have him, to be with him, to receive the prize of his presence. And yet I see this happen sometimes. Christians... They cease to run this race with endurance. It's tragic. They cease to count suffering as joy. They become discouraged. And instead, they they maybe become comfortable or complacent in their circumstances. And in so doing, they, they fail to reach the finish line. And it's sort of a silly hypothetical question, okay? I admit that. But can you imagine if Christ had only crossed the starting line in the race that God had marked out for him? If he had not run his race with endurance all the way to the end, then none of us here would be saved. None of us would be redeemed. We would still be under the wrath of God that we looked at so closely last week. And the consequences of Christ giving up for you and for I would be terrible, immeasurable, indescribable. But of course, Christ didn't give up, right? That's the good news. He finished the race. And so we must follow him because the consequences then of our giving up, of our not completing the race in our pursuit of him are also terrible and immeasurable. So you see, Christ finished the race. He ran it with endurance from start to end through all the passion and suffering that God had chosen to include in his journey. Christ was faithful. And where he has gone, we as Christians, those who bear his name, must be faithful to do our best to follow him. So how do we follow? What does it mean for us to follow him? Look again at verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so here's the secret of the Christian life, right? If the goal of the Christian life is to run with endurance the race all the way to the finish line, here's the secret whereby it's actually possible for us to complete the race and to finish. It's not by our own strength. Do you understand? It's not by your morality. It's not by your own religious achievements, your goodness, even your endurance or your perseverance. The only way 
that you and I can actually cross that finish line is by looking to Christ, the perfect one, who's already crossed the finish line, right? And on the cross who cried out, it is finished, it is completed. And to look anywhere else is like Peter, to sink in the waves and become overwhelmed. To look anywhere else is to wander from the path and stray into being lost. To look anywhere else is to be crushed, to be overwhelmed, to be overcome under the burden of trying to achieve for ourselves what only Christ could achieve for us. Just before my freshman year of college, I did this long backpacking trip. I don't remember all of the specifics. I was trying to like find the, 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 the route that we took. But I know that over the course of about 15 days, we hiked 160 miles That's 15 straight days of walking 11 miles a day with a 60-pound backpack up and down the Porcupine Mountains in northern Michigan, or northern Wisconsin and northern Michigan. And I'm not joking when I say this, like day 12, this like last mile of this day, I was just weeping. And I was with a group of a dozen or so other guys, but my feet were blistered and bloody, my shoulders were bruised, My legs were exhausted. 130 miles of hiking already under those conditions had just left me worn down physically, emotionally, even spiritually. And I thought for sure, like, I can't even take another step. I'm just done. And and I found this nifty little trick because I couldn't just, like, stop. I had to keep going or I was going to be left alone in the middle of the woods. I'm sure they would have dragged me, but they were in as bad a shape as I was. But I found this nifty little trick. I, I set my eyes on the backpack of the guy in front of me, 15 or 20 feet ahead of me. And I told myself, when I get to him, when I reach him, when I can grab his backpack, then I can quit. And of course, because he was always moving 15 or 20 feet ahead of me, I never reached him. But I was able to finish that last mile of that day with endurance because I'd found something to set my eyes on, an object to draw me forward, to take my mind off of me and off of my suffering and the hardship I was experiencing. And so the goal of the Christian life is to run the race in pursuit of Jesus all the way to the very end with endurance. And the secret to pulling it off, the secret to accomplishing this goal is to set our eyes on him, to look to him, to see where he is and let him draw us onward, to consider the beauty of Christ, the beauty of his love, his excellence, his joy, to see the cross and what he suffered and the resurrection and our hope and to find strength in that for each new day that we encounter, to fix our eyes and our minds on the wonder of his glory and let him lead us on continually, day after day, renewing our faith in him. And this word, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus here in verse 2, we use the word looking, I-N-G, to communicate an ongoing idea. In Greek, the tense here, or the aspect here, is an incompleted aspect. And so what that means is that it's not that we look to Jesus once and then we stop looking to him. Like we've crossed the starting line and therefore we're done. That's all we need to do. Like we've looked once and now our looking is done. The word means that we are always looking. We are continually looking. We never stop looking to Jesus. 
And if you have any intention to run the race with endurance all the way to the end, then you must never take your eyes off of him. You must be always looking. Think about it like this. If Jesus finished his race, how did he do it? I think you could read, especially in the Gospel of John, the Upper Room Discourse, and you see that Christ finished his race by always looking to the Father. It was the joy of fellowship with God that gave him the endurance that he needed to persevere to the very end, to face the worst circumstances imaginable. It was God, the Father ahead of him, that empowered him to continue to move onward. So Jesus, with his eyes fixed on the Father, finished the race. And you know what Christ says to us who believe? If you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. And if Christ, I don't think that we consider what just an incredible hulking beast of a man Jesus must have been. Seriously. No one in history has had more intelligence or fortitude or willpower or courage than Christ has ever had. And if Jesus being the most incredible, strong, strong-willed, courageous-hearted human being found that it was necessary for him to look to the Father to finish the race, then how much more for us? How much more for you and for me that lack that kind of resolve and courage? How much greater will our need be to look to Christ continually, always looking to him through all of our suffering and all of our joy to ensure that we cross the finish line in the race that God has marked out for us? It's absolutely necessary, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we find this verse. Just listen. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. This verse in Greek has the same incomplete aspect in its meaning as we looked at in Hebrews, which means this, that we must be continually beholding the glory of the Lord in order to be transformed into his likeness. We continually seek to set our eyes on the glory of the Lord. And in gazing on God's glory, his beauty, his wonder, in Christ Jesus, through the word of God, we are then transformed. God does this work in our hearts from the inside out, strengthening us into the kind of people who have the fortitude to run the race with endurance, just as Jesus ran it ahead of us. And so the secret of the Christian life is not Do more, try harder, sin less, behave better, change yourself, become more of a Christian. That's not it. The secret is to look to Christ always and continually. And just as Christ, through his suffering, fixed his eyes on the Father continually and thought first and foremost about his relationship with him, so too we have to fix our eyes on Christ and think continually about the joy that's offered us in fellowship with him. And it is he then who does this work on our hearts to transform us, to fill us, not with mere happiness, but with eternal joy. So we look to Jesus. What do we find there? Go back to Hebrews, the text. It says, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And see, here's why this is so important. 
Because Christ is the one who has laid the foundation for what we believe. In fact, Christ is the foundation of what we believe. It's not Jesus and something. It is only Jesus. And yet, not only did he lay the foundation on which we stand, but he is the one who has labored completely to finish all of the work. He started it. He's finished it. And if we look to ourselves, we're going to fail. If we look to the things of this world, which is such a mess, then we're going to grow weary and overwhelmed and discouraged. And so the task before us of finishing the race with endurance is going to seem impossible to us because it is if we look anywhere else. But looking to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the first and the last, who has already begun and already finished everything— How could we not, in that hope, persevere to the end, confident that in him our victory is secure? The finish line will come because Christ has already secured it for us. And friends, that's the good news. It's not that you could be a good person or a better person. It's that Christ has finished this race. Not that it's up to us to do this, but that he has already done it. And if he has, and we look to him continually in hope, then in him we are guaranteed to endure to the end where we will find him there, the object of all of our desire that draws us onward. And here's what I want you to see finally. Why? Why? Why has Christ done all of this? The how... He did this as the cross, right? Where Christ finished it. But why? Look again. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Why? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The author of Hebrews tells us that it was for joy that Christ endured the cross. That's the why. And that is an incredible statement. We could say Christ went to the cross for a number of reasons, many reasons. Scripture points to several of them, just to summarize a few. To glorify the Father, for the forgiveness of sins, to be obedient, to redeem mankind as a substitutionary atonement for sin, the sacrificial lamb. But have you ever considered the fact that Jesus endured all of those things? He suffered torture on the cross and alienation from his beloved Father for joy for joy. And what is this joy? Because I can't imagine that we're supposed to believe that joy that Jesus was looking forward to was the suffering itself, right? God is no masochist. I don't think that he likes the idea of suffering. But what joy was Christ fixated on that let him endure such tribulation all the way to the finish line? I think there's two. First, the joy that he looked forward to that gave him great endurance for suffering. It was the joy of his Father, God. Christ understood just how wonderful God the Father is. His every desire was set on being in the presence of the Father, fulfilling the desires of the Father, serving the Father in every capacity he could. To endure the cross, to endure the cross, although it was the greatest suffering imaginable 
to Christ, the suffering of the cross was nothing compared to the joy that he knew that he would find in reunion with God the Father. Hearing his Father say to him, this is my beloved Son, well done, good and faithful servant. Christ could see through the suffering, past the suffering, beyond the suffering, to the very face of God himself. And so for the joy of the Father, Christ endured the cross, despising its shame, to sit down at the right hand of glory. But guys, that's not the only thing that drew him onward. That's not the only thing that contributed to his joy. Second, and I I might go so far as to say even equal to this, equal of importance with all of the other things that Christ accomplished, the joy set before him, Christ endured the suffering. The joy that he was pursuing was you. Believe it or not, it's true that God does not need you. He doesn't. But he desperately wants you. God is not lonely in heaven apart from you. He didn't create man to fulfill some deep, unfulfilled need in himself. But do you understand that God is deeply fond of your company? He longs for it, even though he doesn't need it. You do not complete him in any way, shape, or form. You are not necessary for him to be satisfied And yet you bring him great joy. Great joy. He desires to spend eternity with you. He loves your heart. He longs for you. He desires to give the fullness of himself to you. He desperately, desperately wants you. And the thought of redeeming you, the thought of saving your soul from death, gave Jesus joy to endure the suffering that he would find in the cross. Immense suffering. Abandonment from God the Father. Physical pain. Emotional and spiritual torture like you will never know. And why did he do it? Why did he do it? For the joy of being united in his heart to you. He thought the immense suffering ahead of him would be worth it. The fellowship ahead of him drew him onward. Fellowship with God the Father and fellowship with us, the redeemed, the bride of Christ, his beloved, you and I. And whatever the suffering of the cross might entail, suffering more than we could imagine, Christ saw in that suffering the greater weight of the joy that he would find in being united to you, being your Savior. And so do you understand that when Scripture says that Christ endured the cross for the joy set before him, that you, you are the joy that was set before him. His obedience to the Father was carried out in part because of his deep desire to have fellowship with you. And to bring us who believe into the joyful fellowship that Christ has with God the Father, that Christ has had with his Father since before the foundations of the world. Listen to these words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. Just just listen to this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. And so we are the object of Christ's joy, just as God the Father is the object of his joy. What a crazy and beautiful and mind-blowing mystery that is. And so what I have to ask then is this. With all of his joy found in you, is your joy found in him? I mean, it's an amazing thing to think that Christ suffered all that he suffered in order to find his joy in us. Just consider that idea for a second. The joy of the cross was the joy of your salvation. The joy of Jesus was found in saving you. The joy of Christ was you. Is he your joy? Did Christ suffer so much on the cross while seeking your joy, only to find that he comes in second place to a good TV show. Second place to this career that you've labored so hard to have. Your love for comfort that supersedes your love for him. Did Christ suffer so much on the cross to find joy in you, only to find that you have greater joy in your spouse or greater joy in your children or greater joy in anything else in creation than him alone. You are the joy that was set before Jesus for which he endured the cross. But I wonder, would you endure your own cross, your own suffering? Would you run your own race to receive the joy of Christ like he ran his? Is he worth that much to you? Is he the source of your joy? And I want to to just finish with this thought, okay? I think at the core of all of this is a very simple truth. Jesus did not let our sin steal his joy. He looked to the cross and beyond the cross to see that even in the greatest suffering He would find it worth it to save you and I from our sin for the glory of God the Father. And so I think then the choice for us is is quite simple as well. Sin promises joy and happiness that it never provides. And whenever we choose sin over Christ, we let sin steal our true joy. We let it rob us of relationship with God. We settle for something meaningless compared to Christ. We trade the greatest treasure possibly imaginable for mere pennies. And we take our eyes off of Christ and we communicate to him that even though he thought it worth it, to die for us. We were that valuable to him, to suffer for our sake. We found other things that are more valuable than he is to us. And now, of course, the good news, understand, is that God forgives us. Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. But I want you to know that sin... As attractive as it sounds, it loses its power in our lives when we decide that we would rather have the joy of Christ than the emptiness, the robbery, the theft, 
that sin gives us. And in that, we cry out to Christ that he alone is worthy of all of our desire, all of our attention, all of our joy, all of our affection. And we look to him like he looked to the Father to find this surpassing joy that makes all other desires pale in comparison. And so will you, will you run the race with endurance that's set before you? Will you look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith? Will you believe, will you believe that you, you in fact are the joy for which he endured and suffered the cross? Will you choose to find in him the same joy that almost unbelievably he finds in you? Let me pray for us. God, what a treasure joy is. What a wonderful thing it is to experience a settled disposition of joy as we're rooted and grounded in Christ. And Father, would you fulfill this desire that we have and would you fulfill it in Christ alone? Would you give us the joy that we so desperately need in your son Jesus? Regardless of the circumstances, whether it's Suffering or trials or good times, bad, hard, beautiful, wonderful, terrible. God, would you give us in Christ the joy that we so desperately desire? And Lord, would you help us understand this thing that truly does seem completely impossible to understand, that that the joy set before Christ was the joy of bringing us into fellowship with the Father, the fellowship that he has had with you. And God, would we find in you so much joy, so much beauty, such an attraction to our hearts that sin seems so pale and meaningless in comparison. Father, I ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to run with perseverance the race that you've marked out for us, looking to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen.